All of the opinions expressed in this podcast are ours alone and are not intended to offend or disrespect any of the parties involved. We're just two people who know how to research stuff on Google and talk about it. We don't have any legal education and therefore shouldn't be taken too seriously. So don't try to sue us. We couldn't afford to pay you anyway. Additionally, this podcast is about murder and will probably contain many other adult themes. So if that's not your thing, probably going to have a bad time. So listen at your own risk. This is the part where we shamelessly plug our social media that I can never remember. Take it away, Mike. So don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at allegedly underscore pod. Find us on Facebook at that allegedly podcast and email us at that allegedly podcast at gmail.com. So pull up a chair, grab a snicky snack, and enjoy this week's episode of Allegedly. It's Black History Month. We don't have a huge platform, but we've decided to do what we can to bring awareness to a serious issue, the underrepresentation of victims of color in the true crime community. In an effort to do better, we are recording two episodes this February to make our show more representative of all people. It's easy to fall into the cycle of discussing white cases because that's what's reported by the media and what has the more readily available information. We must all do better. So this is our first step. Welcome back to Allegedly. I'm Mike. And I'm Heather. And today we're going to discuss two lesser known cases in the case of Kanika Jenkins and Clarence Hammond. Kanika Jenkins you may have heard of because her death is very suspicious, but I can guarantee that you have not heard of Clarence Hammond. Even though Kanika Jenkins' case has gone viral on social media because of the extensive video surveillance coverage, you cannot find anything on these people. I We say this every week. There right. is nothing. And we're running into even more yes. of an issue here because of the underreporting yes. in the media, in the true crime community. Absolutely. This information, it's not as readily available. You know, we struggle mm-hmm. every single week. But this was especially difficult. Right. You know, I'll just go ahead and throw this in there before we get into their cases. When you and I were discussing creating this podcast and we said, you know, we really need to be aware of the cases that we're putting out there and make sure that we're doing justice to everybody, no matter, you know, race, creed, we are going to cover everything. You right. know, it doesn't matter gender, nothing like that, sexual preferences, nothing. Man, we really tried there at the beginning and then February rolled around and we said, okay, so what, what cases should we do for Black History Month? And then we looked at our page and went, we have had people of color, but we have not covered any black people of color. Right. So we were like, oh my God, we have fallen into... We have fell into the cycle. We fell into the cycle. We sure did. So... We're going to do better. And um, And we're going to start right um, here, right now. We certainly started with these cases because I can promise you, Mike and I went to the edges of the internet (laughs) to find as much information as possible on these two people that lost their lives. The little information I can find, I will share with you, but please bear in mind that is the best I could do because there's less information on these people than there are in pretty much any of the cases that we've covered. Let's get right into it with Kanika Jenkins. So, Kanika Jenkins, born Kanika Martin, was a 19-year-old Chicago native. Again, (laughs) for the little information I found, a lot of it was also um, conflicting. Sure. So, they're calling her Kanika Jenkins in the, I guess, reporting on this. However, she goes by Kanika Martin 
her mother is Teresa Martin, who I actually believe is biologically her aunt. And she identifies as a Martin because Teresa is the woman that raised her. Again, don't come for me if this isn't the case, if you happened to know Kanika or know of the family. This is something that I found. And I looked on like her social media and she referred to herself as Kanika Martin. That was her Snapchat name that I saw. So, right. But either way, for all intents and purposes, her mother was Teresa Martin. So again, <laughs> I keep running into conflicts already. It says that her birth date was September 15th, 1998. However, when I was pouring through the various Instagram pages and things like that, they were having birthday celebrations, like post-mortem, you know, birthday celebrations. Right. And they were in May. If she were 19 at the time of her death on September 9th of 2017... She couldn't have been born September She 15th. would have had to have been born before then, right? Right. So unfortunately, the two main things you can find out there about her... They have different stories. So Kanika reportedly worked for a local nursing home, and she was a graduate of Community Christian Alternative Academy, which is a charter school in Chicago. She and her family were very excited about this new job that she had taken. According to her sister, Leonor, Kanika had dreams of going to college to become a lawyer, and she was fondly known as Nika. And when you listen to these videos of her, you happen to see her social media, that's how she's referred to. And just because I can't find any concrete, any more concrete information on Kanika, I did want to go ahead and put in my opinion here. I looked through countless videos of her, and from my point of view, not knowing her personally, all of her videos were <laughs> very happy. She had a huge smile. In probably 9 out of 10 videos you see of her, she's laughing. She's constantly using silly Snapchat filters. She and her friends are always messing around, singing videos in the car. An average 19-year-old girl living and loving life. She just seemed to me like a, a happy-go-lucky person who was ready to take the next step as an adult. Right. So, again, I mean, that's just my opinion. That's the type of person that I see her as. It's un just unfortunate that I don't have any other concrete facts to give you. So I guess we'll go right into the night of her disappearance. So Kanika, along with a few friends, left from her mother's house and took Teresa's car to attend a birthday party at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Rosemont. The party was due to start around 11.30. That's when Teresa recalls last seeing the girls is that they were leaving around 11.30 or maybe they had arrived at 11.30. Either way, that's the time period that we're starting this in. However, Kanika didn't tell Teresa that they were going to this party. Kanika told her that she and her friends were going bowling. I believe that she had been out celebrating with her family that day for the new job, and she was going to continue her celebrations bowling with her friends. This was not the case. They were going to a birthday party at the Crown Plaza. The party was taking place on the ninth floor of the hotel in room 927, and there were approximately 30 guests in the one rented room. That is a lot of people for one room. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to leave there right away. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So there's quite a bit of video taken at this party. It's been posted online, and it is highly scrutinized, but I'm not going to go into that just yet. Some partygoers would later describe Kanika's behavior, and not all of these accounts match, of course. But in the videos that I could find, Kanika looked okay. She can be seen in a few of them, like I said. None of her friends reported that she had done any drugs of any kind, although it is believed that maybe they had picked up marijuana on the way there. Later on, they did not find illegal substances in her system, I should say, drug-wise. And 
I guess she did drink. The toxicology report would later show that she was drinking. Her friends had reported that she drank a little. That's debated as well. The party had received at least one noise complaint. It is suggested that the party ended because they were threatened to be shut down or have the police called. Again, I couldn't confirm this, but I would think that if the hotel had received noise complaints, and I'm sure there were with 30 people in one room, that that's probably what happened. So the party was kind of dying down after that. Well, yeah, I think it's going to be relatively hard to be quiet Mm. if you have 30 people celebrating in a hotel I mean, you've been to parties. Nothing brings a party down faster than the police are coming. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what kind of parties you think I'm attending. You're 19, put down your drink. Okay, first of all, I'm assuming that's how parties went. I never attended a high school party when I was in high school. I know. I was a loser. I knew you in high school. Yeah, shut up. (laughs) So the last time Kanika is heard from by someone that's outside of this party was at approximately 1.30 a.m. when she spoke with her sister, Leonora. So Kanika and her friends left the party. And according to them, Kanika had left her keys and phone in the room. So they walked out to the hallway. They realized that, you know, Kanika's their ride. She doesn't have her phone. She doesn't have her keys. So they leave her out in the hallway to go back and retrieve these things. There is a possibility, though, that they had already pushed the call button for the elevator. So her friends had reported that they were gone for about 15 minutes. I'm not going to speculate why they were gone for that long. We'll just leave it at that. Well, I mean, again, you got 30 people in one hotel room. I'm sure it's a mess. Right. Um, So you're like searching all over the place. Right. And I don't think 15 minutes is an exorbitant amount of time Mm -hmm. in that situation. Well, when they returned, Kanika was gone. Like I said, it is a possibility that the call button had already been pushed or that maybe she'd push it herself, but Kanika was gone. They didn't know where she was. So her friends began searching for her and they were later seen on video doing so. So that's not... That's not up for debate. Right. Around 3.52 a.m., they enter the lobby of the hotel. They search some of the hallways, and they can be seen returning to the lobby again at 4 a.m. At 4.02 a.m., the girls approach the desk to inquire about Kanika. The contents of this conversation is unknown, or I couldn't confirm it at least. I would imagine it would be something along the lines of, have you seen my friend Kanika? Right. You know. They conducted a few more searches that also can be seen on video, including a bar that they had been instructed to maybe check in i guess is what i could gather but that bar had closed at 11 o'clock right which seems odd that yeah yeah they would be told to go check in there yeah i don't necessarily know told to be like oh well that you know we do have a bar restaurant or something like that well i, I mean and i guess if they could go into it to check yeah. hours after it had closed i guess it was a possibility that i suppose we will find out here shortly though that this hotel is not not super great <laughs> <laughs> around 4 30 a.m after their search inside, they return to Kanika's car, but she's not there either. They enter the hotel once more in search, but are seen running out of the hotel when they get into Teresa Martin's car, the one that they drove to the party, and they drove it back to her place. So during this time, like during the search or afterwards, one of her friends did call to ask Teresa if Kanika had returned home. They explained that the car was still in the lot and that they had her keys and cell phone. And uh, obviously Teresa tells them, no, I, I thought she was with you. So when the girls return to the hotel, Teresa is with them. She basically says, get in the car. We're all going to go and look for my daughter. Her friends explained that she'd only had one cup of an alcoholic beverage, like I said before, and that she had not done any drugs. Teresa approaches the desk and asks to see the surveillance footage so that they could see if Kanika was on it. Her request, however, was denied. And she was told that the police would need to request it and that she would need to file a missing persons report. After this conversation, Teresa decides to call the police and places this 911 call. 911, where's the address of your emergency? Yes, I'm at the crime 
um, Crown Plaza at O'Hare Airport. And I was calling because my daughter came to this uh, to a party here last night, a gathering with her friends. And um, now her friends, they say that they left on the front of the hotel and she's not able to be found now. She's 19 years old. And you said that this and and you said the Crown Plaza at O'Hare Airport. Yes, yes. And they said that the, um, when her friends was asking uh, earlier today, like about four o'clock in the morning, because uh, they used to run the video cameras, they said that they didn't have no cameras. But now I came and it was a lady. She said that it, she she heard music, and she she asked me that I want to go upstairs, and we went upstairs on the eleventh floor, and it was someone came to the room. And the, she said that she did see my daughter there with a group of girls and, and, and a couple of guys. But um, that's all she just saw because she was trying, busy trying to get reception on her phone. All right. Well, then, um, you know what? Um, are you sure you don't mean the Crown Plaza in Rosemont? Yes, the Crown, yes, it is. I'm sorry. The Crown Plaza in Rosemont, that's exactly where it's at. I'm okay, so and sorry. No, no, it's okay. And, and, have you, spo and you said you spoke with the... Uh, front desk. I'm sitting outside right in front of the hotel in a parking lot right now. And they were saying that they didn't that they haven't seen your daughter since she left or No, this is a different set. This is a different um uh a new uh I'm sorry, it's a new shift and they said that they haven't seen it. Well of course they wouldn't have seen it because this is like three or four in the morning. Do you think it's possible maybe she went to one of her friends' houses or you know, she's probably no, no, actually, because she had my car. She was driving my car. She know I don't like nobody to drive my car because my insurance will not pay for nobody, no one besides her. And um, her friends kept calling my phone. I told them to stay out here. They stayed out here. for. They called me, like, about 3 something in the morning. Once they brought me my car, I came right out here, and I came to the hotel, and I showed them a picture of her, and I asked them if they see it. And there was a lady in the lobby. And she heard me asking at the front desk, and she said it was music. She did hear music. She called the one downstairs to report the room and come to find out it was the people next door. And when we knocked on the door, um, that person said that she did see my daughter downstairs with, it was like four of them, and it was four of them. And she said my daughter, she uh, she was with three of her friends, but her three friends said, which then, you know, these kids won't tell the truth. They said that she was, they went upstairs to get her cell phone. And when they went to get her cell phone, she was standing in the lobby, in the front lobby. And then when they came back down, she wasn't there anymore. No, I completely understand. Uh, the, 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 one, the, the one issue we have, and it's not necessarily that it's, that it's an issue, but she is an adult. She is 19 years old. And, um, again, she's only been gone for a couple hours. She's... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe she's you know she could be somewhere with one of her friends or something because I mean it, again it it is only a couple hours since you hadn't seen her correct or since her friends supposedly hadn't seen her. Correct. Let's say about um four three to four hours now. They said they told me it was like four o'clock in the morning when they called me. Yeah. I well I I guess uh, the the one I, are you looking to file a missing persons report then or are you just. Or, 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 or would you, I'm sorry, go on ahead. That, I'm so sorry, Sarah. Uh I just want to know, is it possible that they, maybe they can look at the cameras and see, um, it's because they send the police out here and ask them to look at the cameras and see if um, they've seen her on their cameras around that time? 
I was about to say, uh, even if I did send an officer, it would take a little bit in order in, uh, for us to get the uh, for us to get the camera footage and us for us to pass it on to the uh, detectives division. Okay. Okay. So, so what what would you suggest? Well, again, again, the the only thing I would suggest maybe just um, you know, g give her a couple hours. You know, she could have went. You know, she could have went somewhere with one of her other friends. I mean, and who knows what. Her friends are saying is true. You know what I mean? Exactly. That's you. Is they? You could tell not to be saying. You could tell it don't sound right. I'm a parent. I've been young before, and it's not sounding right. It don't sound right. Period. That's why I came out here myself because they say, and then it sound like they had been drinking. You know, honestly. Yeah. And I asked them, did she drink? And they said she had only one cup. You know, but, okay, my daughter ain't the type that normally, she can't even take liquor. Her, her liquor level is just like mine. We can't take liquor. We cannot yeah. take liquor. We take a sip of liquor, we drunk. Honestly. No, I completely understand. And I'm, I'm like, one cup is too much for her, you know. And while, and I, and I, like I asked them, and then they end up with her cell phone. I pay her cell phone bill every month to make sure my daughter has a phone. How did she love her phone? I don't understand. How? Why would she leave her cell phone with you all and just go disappear? And she yeah. know I just had surgery. You know, she know uh, she know my predicament. No, yeah. Well then, well, well then. So that in, in that case, what I would, what I, uh, what I would recommend, just you know, go home, relax a little bit, give it some time. She could, she, of all we know, she very well could still be in the room. She, she could just be passed out. You know, again, you know how it is. You drink in the the night before, you get, you know what I mean, whatever else have you. So just give it a couple hours. You know, maybe see if you know, see if she'll get a hold of you again. You know, I mean, does she, uh, does she know your number? Yeah, she know my number very well. She's very smart. Okay, well then, like I said, you know, just give her a couple hours. You know what I mean? You know, you know, give her some time. You know, again, maybe she, you know, maybe she went to one of her other friends' places, or maybe she is still in the room. You know, just knocked, you know, knocked out. You know what I mean? Okay, and so when do you? How long does it take for me to file a missing person report? Well, well, you can you can file it at any at at, uh, at any time. It just uh like I said, you know, just you know, just give it a little bit of time, you know. If if you hadn't heard from her by I wanna say about ten, eleven o'clock, then by all means, you know, give us a call again. You can come to the station and uh we can help you out. Let's hold our commentary on that. Oh yeah, I was Shall writing we? furiously so yes. I don't forget <laughs> what I wanna say. So before we get back to the story, there is one thing we're going to insert here. And I've heard uh, a lot of other people who've reported on this insert this here as well, so good on all of them for doing so. You do not need to wait to file a missing persons report. Just so period. everyone knows that. Period. Um, Hard stop. A lot of police stations will probably encourage you to wait, especially if they are an adult or if they're known to be runaways. This is not true. They can advise you all they want, but there is no law. They cannot prohibit you from doing so. Right, and you see in like movies and TV shows where it's, oh, 24 hours, 48 mm -hmm. hours, whatever, not a real thing. Yes. Yeah, that needs to be said. If you are in fear for your loved one, do not wait. If you feel like you need to report them, report them. Well, you especially need to take into consideration, too, when you know that there's going to be like security camera footage, like in this case, mm -hmm. a lot of places, those tapes are recycled. 
So they only have that surveillance footage for a certain amount of time. Right. Could only be 24 hours or 48 hours. Absolutely. If you wait and the police don't get there until after that footage has been recorded over again, mm-hmm. you've lost the most crucial evidence that you can have. Yes. And another thing, there's no reason to feel bad or think that the police know your loved one better than you do. You know them. When you feel it's necessary, you do it. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> So let's get back to Kanika. Kanika's sister, Leonore, was able to finally file a missing persons report that afternoon around 1.30. So we're now Saturday afternoon. So the party was Friday night. She'd gone missing in the early hours of Saturday, and now we're in the afternoon. Saturday. So we're just shy of 12 hours Pretty much. since she's gone missing. Yes. So the Rosemont police finally arrived at the hotel. I have heard in several accounts that this was not to try to find Kanika, that it was because throughout the day, Kanika and her family had basically set up camp at the hotel, passing out flyers, looking everywhere, questioning the guests, which basically was an interruption of business. So the hotel called the Rosemont police, and they were coming there because of the disturbance, not to help look for Kanika. This, however, did at least lead to the police becoming more involved in the case. You know, that's what it took. Like, honestly, the squeaky wheel... Gets the oil, right? (laughs) So they're not doing what you need them to do. They're not coming out there for you. If you need to create a nuisance and that's what gets them out there, then good on you. Yep. They weren't doing anything wrong. No. And they got the police out there. Exactly. Like I said, they finally arrived. So then they visited the room that the party had taken place in, which I guess had been purchased under a fraudulent credit card. So that also raised some flags for the police. But basically, they had looked around the room and seen, you know, nothing really out of the ordinary. Nothing stuck out to them. There wasn't any evidence of foul play, basically. They did question partygoers, but I believe some of them to this day have been missed. I mean, 30 people at a party, not everybody knows everybody. Well, and most of them are drinking. Right, I'm sure some heavily when you have a party that's going until the wee hours of the morning. So... They did at least confirm that Kanika had, in fact, been at the party. There are a few people, and of course, there's snaps and tweets or whatever the young kids are doing these days. (laughs) (laughs) They do ask the hotel staff to see part of the surveillance footage to confirm themselves that Kanika was in this hotel. So they did allow them to do that. Later Saturday evening, Sunday morning, after midnight, the assistant food and beverage manager walked into a kitchen. This was the second kitchen. It had been under construction, so the kitchen itself has been constructed, but they weren't using it just yet because the hotel was building another restaurant. So this food and beverage manager is walking into this second kitchen. And he walks into a freezer that is just out of sight of the camera. He opens the door, and there he finds Kanika Jenkins' dead body. So he obviously calls the police right away. They come back to the hotel, and they walk with the manager to the freezer. And when the paramedics arrive, she is pronounced dead. And Kanika is, in fact, frozen solid because this freezer was on. Well, it's a Um, deep freezer mm -hmm. in a commercial kitchen. Well, yeah, it's a walk-in freezer in a commercial kitchen, yeah. So the next task for the police was to notify Teresa. This is captured on surveillance camera as well. It is heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. You can see Teresa enter the room with the investigators, and mere minutes later, she's seen, I mean, running, booking it out of that room, and she is screaming and crying as she leaves, as she runs out of the hotel. Mm -hmm. It is, I, I couldn't even imagine. 
Yeah. It's terrible. And it's terrible to watch another human, like, you can, like, feel, like, their pain. It's so, ugh, I just hate watching that. So at 4.14 a.m. on Sunday morning, Teresa is brought back into the hotel, and she's told by the police that, you know, she needs to come and identify Kanika's body. After being spoken to for a time by investigators, Teresa enters the kitchen at around 5 a.m. I believe that they had been speaking to her for about 45 minutes because she could not control herself she could not collect and you herself. can't expect someone to no. when their 19 year old daughter yeah is found like that exactly where she had i mean she had been there all day mm-hmm. just you know just a short ways away from her own daughter i mean that's another added piece of it you know you say goodbye to your daughter one night you can't find her and then knowing that you were basically with her all day you know it's just and i understand why we need to have family members identify bodies Mm -hmm. i understand why that has to happen but it's such a terribly sad thing to think about yeah that you have to do something like that and they do this i mean i know probably a lot of people are thinking well why do family members need to identify body we have dna we have other identifying things, clothing, tattoos, da 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 But I think this speeds this up because at least they can continue their investigation into who they presume that the person is, is right. my kind of take on it. So anyway, Teresa enters the kitchen at around 5 a.m. where Kanika's body was laid out on a stretcher, so they at least had removed her from the freezer. She was given a few of her belongings, I believe something like her, her belly ring and there was a, a ponytail and something like that, which she took with her. And... Teresa leaves the hotel, and right at the front of this hotel is where she begins her series of Facebook Live videos. The first of which notified her friends and family, or Facebook friends, you know, that Kanika was dead. And that it wasn't foul play. She basically said, no one did this to my daughter. I think that might have been along the verbiage that she'd used. So, the surveillance footage of Kanika's movements after the party were found. They can be seen online if you guys want to watch them. There's nothing nothing bad in these videos it's i wouldn't say that they're disturbing in any way you can go and watch them these videos are again highly scrutinized highly debated the majority of the footage that can be seen is kanika stumbling through the bottom floor of the hotel walking into various hallways and doors when she finally made her way to the kitchen now if you go online especially to like youtube you can find the video, you can watch the video, and then these YouTubers will describe what's happening in much greater detail. Unfortunately, we're on a podcast. I'd hate to try to walk you through each hallway yeah. and room when you cannot see it. So I would advise you, if you really want to see her movements, go and, and view them. Just listening to me is not really going to give you an idea. All you need to know is that it is Kanika stumbling through various hallways, rooms, and then she eventually made her way to the second kitchen. So the hotel says that there is no footage from the camera above the freezer, or maybe there was no camera above the freezer. Again, conflicting reports, I'm unsure. Either way, the only camera is from one corner of the kitchen, and it cannot reach. You can see the shadow of the door, but you cannot see the freezer itself, which will come into play later. So, like I said, this particular kitchen had been under construction and wasn't being used. There was no activity in this kitchen, according to the surveillance videos, since August 30th. So, the month prior. Well, I guess I should say, if that's the end of the month, and this was September 9th, so 10 days. Right. Yeah. So, there had been no movement in this kitchen for 10 days before Kanika had entered it, and there had not been any movement in the kitchen from Kanika entering the kitchen to the food and beverage manager entering the kitchen. Mm -hmm. So no movement in between 
those two things. So while awaiting the autopsy report, investigators reviewed surveillance footage and they questioned the partygoers. Through various activists and media speculation, the Kanika Jenkins death had soon escalated to an online frenzy. And it has resurfaced a few times since then. So one activist was a man by the name of Jedediah Brown. He apparently had ruffled some feathers right away with the police when he tried to enter the hotel and cause a stir while the crime scene was still being held. I don't really want to go too much into detail on this. The good thing was is that it did bring some more attention to the case, but Jedediah Brown wasn't necessarily the person that he tried to make himself out to be, I suppose. Yeah. In the meantime, shots were being fired online between family and friends, placing blame on each other, suggesting that her friends, you know, maybe knew more than what they'd admitted to, that something had happened to her at the party. These videos are being scrutinized. There are various things that is believed to have been heard in the audio of these videos. We'll touch on that, I guess, when we get to our, our theories of what happened. So protests were being held at the hotel as well, which caused the hotel to lose business. Oh, no. So the manager reached out to Teresa Martin to stop the protest. I just, (laughs) what's the word I'm looking for? The kahunas that you would have to have (laughs) to call the mother of the dead girl you just found in your hotel's freezer and ask her to please stop the protest after you refuse to give her any surveillance footage or any help. Right. I mean, damn. So he calls. He asks her to stop the protest. Teresa obliges. She creates another Facebook Live video in which she asks that if there are protests, that they just please remain peaceful. She's not telling you that you can't go, but, you know, please don't be a nuisance to the hotel. You know, just do this peacefully. Do this quietly. Okay. She also explained that she would no longer be involved with the activist Jedediah Brown because he had not been giving the proceeds he'd collected for the family through protests and other things to the family like he'd promised. So already, from the very get-go, you had people taking advantage of Kanika's family. Yeah. And the sensationalism around this. You know, knowing that he's probably going to get a lot of money from this. Yeah, not a good dude. Such, yeah, not, not, not cool dude. So some of the autopsy results that were revealed, or that at least that I could find, show that Kanika had an alcohol level of .112, which was apparently a great deal higher than the legal limit, which I believe was .08. Yeah. So the drug topiramate was also found in her system. And it looked as though she had been taking this drug regularly. It wasn't like she had, you know, popped one pill this night. Also, again, and this isn't something that I looked up, but being in pharmacy, topiramate's not a controlled substance by any means. I've never met anybody in my career that was seeking out topiramate. (laughs) So, you know, before anybody thinks, you know, these negative things, topiramate is not one of those kinds of drugs. So just just keep that in mind. This isn't something that, you know... Yeah, not a narcotic. Yeah, this isn't like someone trying to get oxycodone or something like that. Like I said, she had been taking this drug regularly. However, there is no confirmation that she had a prescription for it. Now, I'm not sure whether or not the police have released this information, whether or not they found a prescription for it, but I also heard that this was just based on what her mother said. That doesn't necessarily mean that her mother knew everything that she was doing. She was an adult. Right. She could have had this prescription privately you know so i i can't confirm whether or not she did in fact have a legal prescription for the medication but in any case topiramate is a drug that's used to treat seizures it can be used in some cases for the prevention of migraines and alcohol abuse there are other i guess off-label uses for this medication though they're not as common to treat like mood disorders like bipolarism those kinds of Mm -hmm. things 
Why she was taking it, I, I suppose we'll never know. The cause of death was ruled an accident. She died from hypothermia. So the medical examiner did make a note on the report that her cause of death, hypothermia, had also been, I guess, in conjunction with her alcohol consumption and the fact that she had been on topiramate. So he did make a note of that in the autopsy. So he had stated that the topiramate in her system coupled with the alcohol would have impaired her judgment even more as the mixture of these two things will cause enhanced side effects. And some of those side effects are sleepiness, dizziness, confusion, which are already effects that you have when you drink alcohol. Right. And when you enhance that, you know, I feel like that kind of explains the tapes a little more. So long story short, this isn't a medication you should be mixing with alcohol. You shouldn't be mixing any medications with alcohol, FYI. I'm not a doctor, but you shouldn't be doing that. (laughs) I mean, it's on every single label that I've ever put on a bottle. So (laughs) do not drink alcohol while taking this medication. Listen, after I clear a bottle of wine, I need some Tylenol or some aspirin. So lay off. (laughs) So, right, so sleepiness, dizziness, confusion, those are major side effects of this drug, and they would have been much worse due to the alcohol that she drank that evening. So the investigation concluded that Kanika's death was an unfortunate accident. And although Teresa Martin originally claimed that there was no foul play, she did end up changing her mind. There are a few suspicious items that caused this change of heart. Kanika was found in a state of undress and was unkempt. So she was wearing like a jean jacket, jeans, tennis shoes, and like a bikini top under her jacket. So her bikini top was lifted up over one breast and her pants were lowered slightly. They were still on and buttoned. She wasn't found in any sort of precarious sexual kind of position, I guess. Okay. She was still fully clothed. Her straight hair, she had gone to the party with straight hair, was disheveled and curled. I believe this was her natural hair. I don't believe that she had on a wig or a weave. And obviously natural hair can curl when it's under any type of like humidity, any water, anything like that. Sure. But again, I I couldn't confirm whether or not this was her natural hair. And I'm not sure if synthetic hair would do that. That's just not, not where my knowledge is. Also, one of her shoes was off. And that revealed one of only two markings on her body. She had an abrasion to one of her legs, and then she had an abrasion on her ankle where the shoe had been removed. So Teresa didn't believe that Kanika could have opened the freezer door, as the freezer door was very heavy. She said that she'd worked in food services before. You know, she knows that the door was heavy. She also knew that there was an emergency button inside the freezer that you could push in case you were locked in. And... Again, with her experience in food service, she believed that Kanika could have pressed that button to escape, which would insinuate that Kanika was already incapacitated and or forcibly kept in the freezer, basically. She also states that Kanika's friends, that their stories had changed many times. We'll revisit some of those topics here in just a little bit. So there are also many other theories from someone following her in the video for maybe sexual reasons or sex trafficking, those types of things, all the way to theories of organ harvesting. I mean, this gets crazy online, which we all know that, you know, if you've ever been on a Reddit thread, (laughs) you know what I mean. Many people have scrutinized the social media videos and suggest that she may very well have been assaulted in the hotel room. You can go and listen to these videos Other YouTubers have gone into the audio on these videos and what they're alleging may have happened. I'm not going to go into this here. I haven't found any proof of those claims, and I certainly don't want to insinuate that there were partygoers there that had done something wrong when there's no 
basis behind it, I guess. Sure. And especially, like I've said before, you can be very easily influenced when it comes to audio. Oh, yeah. We've talked about right. that yeah, several like times. Yeah, like we said, you know, having a visual aid is way different than someone telling you, do you hear this? Mm-hmm. And putting it in your head. You're more likely to hear it. So you guys can go and research those on your own. I guess to sum everything up, Kanika Martin was laid to rest on September 30th, 2017 at only 19 years of age. Hundreds of people attended her funeral, donning pink and purple, which were her favorite colors. Kanika was a fun-loving young woman with a promising future that she was very much looking forward to. She was and is still loved by many. The Martin family has filed suit against the Crown Plaza Hotel for $50 million for a few reasons. Basically, um, negligence being the main one. Yeah, that will end the Kanika Jenkins case. There is way more detail going onto YouTube where you can see the visual aids that they have for you, the surveillance footage and that kind of thing. So um, what are your uh, first opinions hearing this story? It's just, I mean, obviously, you know, there's so many weird things. Mm -hmm. And any time that you have inconsistencies in stories, but then you also have to take into account that they're at a party. Mm -hmm. These people are drinking. Memories are hazy when that's happening. I know that there's a lot of attention given to the blood alcohol content, the blood alcohol level being at 0.112. The legal limit is 0.08. So that is where they consider you impaired enough that you shouldn't be operating a vehicle. But to get to 0.08, you're really, you're talking about like two drinks. Yeah. And Kanika's a, she's a small frame. She's a, she's a small 19-year-old girl. Right, but I mean, you're still... Small but for point oh eight, you're, you're talking about... For even the average person, even someone who, right. who drinks on a regular basis, yeah. one or two drinks is going to get you a point well, oh eight. And her mother has even heard it saying in the 911 call, like, we can't do liquor. Right. You know, and one cup is... That's it for her. Right, know? but you're also... When you're talking about a party with a bunch of teenagers or people in their early 20s... Mm-hmm. You're not measuring the liquor when you're pouring a drink? First of all, you and I have experienced this. Like at my 30th birthday party, you kept (laughs) handing me shots. I had no idea how much I drank until I was blacked out already. It was, I'm having fun singing karaoke to, I am barfing on the floor, I don't remember a thing. So, yeah, the alcohol consumption can get away from you. Right, but especially when you're talking about younger people at a party. Mm -hmm. Okay, like, these are are college-age people. So let me relate it to some college parties that I've been to, okay? And then you're pouring just a ton of liquor into, like, the five-gallon coolers with the spout or, you know, into, like, gallon pitchers, whatever. You're just pouring a ton of booze, Mm -hmm. and then you pour enough mixer into it so that it has a color to it and has some kind of flavor, and that's what people are drinking. Yeah. Because at that age, especially at a party, you're not just chilling and having a beer with your friends or a glass of wine over dinner you are drinking Mm -hmm. to get drunk right so one drink you know the one cup that she had isn't actually one drink because every shot of hard liquor is a drink right exactly so when you're pouring let's just say a red solo cup Mm -hmm. of one of these types of mixed drinks you've got several shots in there Exactly, yeah. Once you drink half of that cup, you're going to be well over the legal limit. Exactly. So this is a good segue into one of the theories. So I guess we can maybe touch on some of the theories and say whether or not maybe we think that they hold any water. One of those is is that she was maybe sexually assaulted and 
due to the fact that her friends reportedly said she'd only had one cup, you know, hadn't been taking shots and things like that, that her drink was obviously laced with something to have put her at that level of confusion and, and dizziness and that kind of thing and, and bringing her alcohol level up. Her drink was laced, something had happened, that's a theory. Again, like I said, you can go and research those videos and, and see for yourself what the audio says. I don't want to say what they think the audio says because I don't want to influence anybody. Right. I want you to go and see them, you know, listen to it for yourself, watch it for yourself. But basically saying that she may have been the victim of a sexual assault. When I watched the videos and listened to them, I personally did not feel that this was a valid theory. Well, there's nothing that confirms them. Right. And that is quite an allegation to make. Mm-hmm. Against, you know, what is presumably a group of her friends when there's nothing that indicates that. Right. And also, if she died from the hypothermia Mm -hmm. and she was frozen solid when she was found, you know, we use refrigeration and things like that to preserve bodies for an autopsy to look for signs of things like sexual assault or indications of, you know, if they were drugged or any wounds or things Mm -hmm. like that. And I don't see anything here that says that they found any indications of sexual assault. No. And that would have been preserved in the way that she died. Right, exactly. So I'm not going to give that a ton of weight either. And who is carrying around this seizure medication? And that's what they would use to lace a drink. Right. Because that's the only other substance in her system. She has alcohol. The ME said, though, that the report showed that this wasn't one dose that right. she had that this was a medication that she had been taking regularly prescribed to her or not right this and was that's something just, that had been built up in and her that's system. just another layer to it right but if you even if you want to discount oh well how can he tell whether or not she's been taking it or whatever if you want to go with this is the first time she's ever taken this medication and somebody used it to lace her drink right. who's carrying around a seizure medication to lace someone's drink yeah exactly And another thing that I think disproves the assault theory is that her friends can be seen on surveillance camera for well over two hours searching for her. If you know that she's been in a room and she's been assaulted, because she wasn't assaulted downstairs, it would have been upstairs, and that's what these people allege, they were at that party, you know, and they're looking for their friend. They know what happened to her, and they're not telling the police, and they're looking for her for two hours. I mean, it seems a little far-fetched. Yeah, I mean, but they do have, I mean, they have some odd behavior in general. Well, their stories don't match, but I mean, I think you find that a lot of times when we're dealing with crimes and when there are parties involved and teenagers, a lot of them are underage for drinking. Like we said, there was marijuana. There may very well have been other illegal drugs. I don't want to assume or, you know, anything like that, but those things could happen. They always do at parties. And a lot of the times, especially being really young, they think that they're going to get in trouble. You know, yeah, they're not thinking about like how this might affect Kanika's case, but more or less like, what is it going to do to me? What do my parents find out? And their college age, you know, what if this ruins my, you know, my school, my reputation, my parents, like, you know what I mean? So I think, I don't know. I I think maybe the changing stories or things. And also they were drunk. Well, that's what I I was going to say. When you're looking at, you know, we're saying she had one drink and her blood alcohol level was at Mm 0.112. So what were their blood alcohol levels at? Yeah, exactly. How many drinks did they have? These Mm -hmm. drinks are obviously not drinks in the traditional sense where it's one shot of liquor and whatever else. Right. So I think that a lot of the odd behavior can be excused, but a lot of what they did also made sense, but then there were things that they didn't do that seemed like they would have kind of come naturally. 
you're searching everywhere there. You go downstairs, you're searching down there, you go to the front desk to ask about it. But why was it so long before anyone thought to go check out by the car? So the actual timeline when it goes minute by minute there are several instances where it says they did go out to the car like at some point and then came back in looked for her some more and then went back out to the car another time to call Teresa. that's all very like the timeline isn't concrete i know but it seems like when you kind of look at what you're able to confirm that they're looking around for about 45 minutes before anyone goes to check out the car. Wouldn't that be one of the first places that if you think that she kind of stumbled into the elevator and was like leaving, you know, you went downstairs to check. Wouldn't you go check out at the car if you were all getting ready to leave? I'm not saying that that indicates that one of these friends had something to do with Mm -hmm. it, but it's just odd. I think some of it's so coherent and logical and then something like that is missed. It looks like another unfortunate mistake. Sure. To me. Um, although even if they had checked outside, she wouldn't have been there. So, so another theory is um, that somebody was following her. Um, I don't know how much of the surveillance video that you watched, but the amount of cameras that Kanika passed, and we're expected to believe, and a lot of people point out like a man in like a, a white hoodie and a blue jacket in the kitchen when it's clearly just hanging items you know mm-hmm. apron or whatever but we're expected to be- and there's one part where like you can maybe see someone's hand grabbing at her or something like that so we're expected to believe that she's passed through all of these security cameras multiple cameras and this person that's following her isn't caught once he knows the location of every security camera right and he's not been on any of them So that I most certainly, I I do not believe. And there was only one camera that could view the freezer from that angle because of where it was located. You would see somebody putting her in that freezer. She's the only one that's seen. Right. So. Well, and again, they mentioned that there was no other motion on these cameras. Right, exactly. After she went in. Right. Until the kitchen manager goes in the next day. So, um, no, I, I don't believe that. Um, that also goes along with the organ trafficking, like someone following her for organ trafficking. Well, one, none of her organs were missing. There was no damage done to her right. body pretty much. Um, but that maybe they were going after her for that. That seems, I don't know. But you would That's have one of the more ridiculous that, claims I've heard. You would have seen that on one of the cameras again. That right. still would yeah. involve somebody following her. Mm-hmm. And attacking or attempting to attack her, and you would have seen that on this footage. Exactly. And you don't. So, obviously, I think I've already made it clear that I think that this was a tragic accident. And there are a few things, um, the points that I said we'd come back to, that I think maybe we could disprove or at least in my opinion kind of disproves this foul play type of thing well before we get into that though i do want to talk a little bit about the 911 call because that oh right i kind of want to get into that after we kind of push aside the what we think happened and then kind of debate how it was handled should we do that or do i hate do that, that cop. first <laughs> did you get that out of your system yes. can we go back now <laughs> okay. okay so do you agree that it was an accident, or do you think foul play? Um, was... It seems the most likely to me, 
I mean, if this is someone who knows that she can't handle her liquor, I can understand mm. being a little suspicious that she would have been drinking liquor like that at all. Right. Um, you know, and then obviously to me then, the the most logical thing would be that someone did lace the drink, but we don't have any right. substance that seems foreign yeah. in her system. But we also do have to take into account that yes her mother Teresa is saying you know oh she can't handle her liquor and she doesn't drink obviously she knows her daughter well but Kanika had already lied to her mother about where she was going I don't find it outside of the realm of possibility that she lied about alcohol consumption and and things like that that's no fault of Kanika's that's what we all do yeah at 19 years old that's what we all do so, um, and, and unfortunately some of, you know, I think every parent goes through that at some point in time where they, they think they know absolutely everything about their child, but there are just some things that you won't know. There are things they're going to keep from you and that's, you know, how that goes. So when discussing the state of undress that she was in, so there's a thing called paradoxical undressing. Um, we are definitely going to talk about this in another case. Uh, that has to do with uh, Russian spies and uh, freezing in the uh, tundra. Stay on topic. <laughs> yeah. So this, uh, but just keep it in mind for a later case. So this paradoxical undressing is basically your body gets so cold that you think you're hot. And you sure. start to take off your clothes. Which could account for her bikini top being pulled up and her pants starting to be pulled down or her shoe kicked off. Um, that could account for that. Um, the next thing... Okay, also, but there's... At that level of intoxication, and, you know, she's stumbling oh, around yeah, while yeah. she's... I don't think that any of this is outside the realm of possibility for an yeah. intoxicated person stumbling around. It would be a little odd had she like removed her shirt or pants maybe completely, but the fact that just her bikini top was lifted up a little bit. Right, and the pants bi- being yeah. lowered a little bit. I mean, I mean, you've never worn a bikini top, but I have, and those things That's go- mighty presumptuous. <laughs> <laughs> but those kinds of tops go everywhere. There is no holding it down. So it for me, it's not hard to imagine that maybe it, it might not have been the paradoxical undressing. It could have just been that she's fumbling around and a bikini top is going to move like that. Right, and just I mean, even wearing a belt with right. pants, if you're stumbling around, even just walking around normally for any extent, mm-hmm. you sometimes have to pull that back up. So the fact that they've oh, fallen slightly, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because we're it's not like right. we're saying that they were. It was around her thighs or around her knees. It would just fallen slightly off of the waistline. Right. I don't think that that's outside the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I, I just... Um, now, when it comes to the freezer door, um, there's a lot of debate on this as well because there is an attorney, I believe, representing the family that had basically tried to show an example of this freezer door. It wasn't the same kind or anything like that. But in that state... That she was in, she doesn't work in food management or anything like that. She may not know that there's this button on this freezer. And not only that, she may not have even known her name at the time. When you think about how drunk you and I have been at certain points, anybody listening, you know, 
Could you have found this one? Not me. I was at those parties, but I never partook in any of that. I don't. Oh, right. Okay. So, I mean, I also don't find that hard to believe that she couldn't find her way out or even had knowledge that there was an emergency button. So, right. I, I don't find anything nefarious going on there. And either. also, as someone who has worked in the food service industry, those doors are not necessarily always that heavy. The door itself might be heavy, but once you pull the lever, I think it's more like the suction that's on it. But when you pull the lever and it unlatches, most of the walk-in freezers I've been into, it's not difficult to get into. No, and that's what I'm saying. I don't think that the I don't think right. that the door itself is all that heavy, and I really don't think it even takes that much force mm-hmm. to open it because they're made for you to right. enter. But I also don't think that alcohol would impair her strength. Right. I mean, would that impair her ability to lift something heavy? You can still open doors when you're drunk. Right, exactly. Um, Yeah, so those are just kinds of, you know, some of the things. And then, like I said, when it comes to her hair, like her hair being a little disheveled, I mean, had she been, you know, kind of rolling around, stumbling around in that freezer trying to get out, I could see how her hair is going to look messed up. Right, and the same thing with the markings. They're on her legs. Yeah, she's bumping. So from stumbling around, and especially once you're inside of the freezer, you know. I mean, if you've been inside one of these, like, walk-in type freezers, a lot of times the floor and walls, you know, especially the inside of the door, Mm -hmm. do have this, you know, they're textured. So there are things that could scratch or scrape. Yeah, exactly. So these minor abrasions that we're talking about, again, not completely out of the question. Yeah. And there were only two. Right. Yeah, and there were only two, and one can be explained by the shoe. Exactly. So, um, yeah, that, I mean, that's really my final thoughts on what actually happened to Kanika. It's really sad. It's um, incredibly sad. It's tragic. But there's just nothing here that indicates that anyone else... Mm-mm. had anything, anything to, to do, do with it. With it. Right. That and um, alcohol consumption will speed the hypothermic process. Right. And the freezer was 10 degrees. Yeah. She was also wearing a bikini top. She did have a jacket on, but she definitely wasn't dressed for 10 degrees, you know? Um, I would imagine that she probably succumbed to it fairly quickly. I would too, um, yeah. However... Even though she may have been dead before they would have been able to save her, that does not take away from the point that they could have saved her. That there was a possibility. There was a possibility, which is now, I guess, now go ahead. You can talk about the cop you hate and the 911 call. Okay, when someone calls you to tell you that their daughter, who is 19 years old, and I know legally that's an adult, we're still talking about a child. Yeah, you're still a baby. And the mother is calling you and telling you all of these things that I'm hearing, that I'm being told, do not seem like her. Mm-hmm. Something is off. She wouldn't just take off. Mm-hmm. They won't let me look at this footage. I just need law enforcement here to ask for the footage. Mm-hmm. Or the fact that he tells her to wait to file a missing persons report. You you couldn't spare one deputy to come to this hotel to help you look for this girl. You, who who was that busy at four in the morning? Right. And the other thing is, is that this wouldn't seem odd to you receiving this call and going, you have a nineteen year old female who is drunk. Her friends already told her mother this that you can't find in Chicago. 
So she's walking around drunk. She doesn't have her car key. She doesn't have her phone. She is the she is the perfect target for people that don't have the greatest intentions. Right. Even if you believe everything's totally innocent, she yeah. stumbled out of the hotel. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't want to send someone out to maybe look for her? Just patrol the streets around there. Just have someone come and take a look. And not only that, when it comes to the hotel staff, you didn't have to show Teresa Martin the surveillance tapes. You could have looked at them yourself. Yeah. You or the manager and just say, you know, I can't let you view these tapes if that's their policy or whatever. But you couldn't just say, like, let me go take a look and see if I see her. Really? Was it, is well, it that even before the mother gets there, when the friends tell you, right? Have you seen her? The last time we saw, we're up on the ninth floor. We think she got in the elevator, mm-hmm. and now we can't find her. You yeah. couldn't go look at the surveillance footage when the friends asked you well, just to see. I could see. Did them she dismissing, even come through the lobby? I could see them dismissing her friends because they're all drunk. They probably deal with drunk teenagers a lot. I would imagine. I could see, I'm not saying it's right, but I could see how they would dismiss her friends. But when a mother comes in and says, look, I have my daughter's keys. I have her phone. She's drunk. She's alone. She has no way, no transportation, no way to communicate with me. Please help me. And she was last seen in your hotel. I mean. But I'm not even buying dismissing the friends. Because after the friends talk to you, even if when they first talk to you, you Mm kind of shrug it off. Then they spend all of this time searching around, and they've already been looking before they come to you. Yeah, and also that, How who long is would so have... busy at the hotel that they can't spare one person to help you look? Well, that's, that's what a... I mean. And how long could it have taken for you to pull up the surveillance footage in the lobby just to see if this girl had come through? Exactly. Well, I mean, even if they didn't have access to it, you know, a manager would call somebody. And not only that, maybe they didn't. But I also don't buy that they needed a police report or a missing persons report. An, a deputy could easily have walked in there and asked nicely to see the surveillance. I had, First of all, if anybody walked into your place of work and said, may I see this? Don't you think it would be like, yeah, take a look. Or at least call your manager and be like, you know, I have a police officer here. We have a missing person. Can you please bring up the surveillance tapes and go from there? But they didn't even do any of that. They just were just dismissive of everything. Right. And, the you know... Obviously, like we said, telling her to wait, to wait, to report her daughter missing and the... And trying to reason it all out. Maybe she went to a friend's house. I'm telling you, her friends were here with her. Yeah. They went back in to get her keys so that they could leave here. Right. Why would she take off to another friend's house? I mean, I could see maybe uh, like somebody else took her home, you know, or like took her back to their place, like one of the other party goers. But even so, that doesn't... that. That doesn't take away from the fact that they should have done more. That It and, would have taken minutes to just do some due diligence yeah. the most and not look like this. Other than, when it comes to Teresa Martin, other than watching her run out of that room after finding out her daughter was dead, the, one of the most heartbreaking things to me was hearing her say to this officer, well, what do you suggest? She is being as calm and as polite as she possibly can, and I'm not saying that's the police officer was rude. He just made really poor judgments. I just... She's so calm, and she's just trying to find her daughter, and she is asking you for help, what you suggest, and you dismiss it like that? It just breaks my heart. Yeah. I just... I hated hearing her her say that, you know, just asking for help, and basically being told, we can't help you. 
And then, you know, the other shortcomings from the police are the fact that they didn't show up to this hotel until they received a complaint. I mean, ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, it takes a complaint about the family and friends of this mm-hmm. missing girl. Right. Trying to find her mm-hmm. for you to actually show up. But and when they called you yeah, and wanted someone to come and help them, mm-hmm. you tried to just shove them off. Pretty much. That and obviously the hotel at this point, because they'd called the police, were also not helping them look for this girl. Right. So, uh, tragic. I'm not saying that had they viewed the surveillance tapes by the time she'd gotten there, you know, at 5 a.m. or so, that Kanika would have been alive. Um, I don't know that, but, you know, had she been maybe stuck in another situation, maybe not in a freezer, maybe stuck in a room or something like that, or another sort of position, it's just, they, they didn't act on this. But we also said hypothermia is a process. Right. And even though the alcohol could have sped up that process, Mm -hmm. there is still the possibility that if they had acted immediately yes. like they should have in yes. this type of situation that she could have been saved yeah it's highly unlikely that she would have survived but i mean i don't know i've heard of i think one or two survival stories where someone had been frozen solid you know or had almost died and been brought back type of thing so again you never know but and and we will never know because they did not do their jobs right so well, I guess we agree on this one then. So, incredibly tragic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, heartbreaking. Yeah. So you but, guys go take a look at the go take a look at the video, the audio. Let us know what you guys think. Do you think that this was an accident? Do you think that there was foul play involved? Uh, let us know. But and, start taking people seriously. Yeah. I mean, dismissing, being so dismissive, the way that everyone else in this story was to her friends and her family. Mm-hmm. You're never going to get. It's better to be wrong and find her alive than to be wrong and find her dead. Right. You know? So. All right, shall we move on to our second case? So, we are going to cover a second case this week. Um, Once again, not a ton of information in general on this one, but we do want to call some attention. Um, So, Clarence Hammond was born Clarence Tariq Hammond III. Uh, to Clarence Hammond Jr. and Patricia Truitt. His parents would divorce, and his father would remarry a woman, Algene Hammond, that can be seen in multiple interviews. Uh, He was described as loving, selfless, father of the year. He had always put others before himself. Uh, He did often go by Tariq or Ricky. His cousin recalls, that Clarence was very smart, and at just five years old, he would discuss his future as an electrical engineer. She also fondly remembers that his nickname in school was Grandpa, as he was always very mature (laughs) for his age. His cousin also tells uh, Macomb Daly that he had moved to Madison Heights to care for his mother. He took a place across the hall from her so that he could cook and bring her meals and ensure that she made it to all of her appointments. He graduated with a bachelor's degree in criminal justice from Ferris State University. This guy keeps getting more wholesome with every sentence that you read. <laughs> which makes me, like, sad knowing what happens next. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, 
So after college, he took a position as a corrections officer for the state of Michigan at the Macomb Correctional Facility. He held that for six years prior to his death. He loved his work and seemed to be loved and respected by all those who knew him. According to the Oakland Press, Clarence had also worked as a fifth grade teacher at Bates Academy of Detroit and even helped to establish the Ferris State University chapter of the IOTA fraternity. He was married to Tabitha Moore, and the pair had two sons, Shiloh and Chance. Their marriage, however, was short-lived, and they divorced. So on the night of January 13, 2012, he was returning home to the Madison Heights apartments with his girlfriend when he was approached by an unknown male and shot in the head still wearing his corrections uniform. His girlfriend stated that the man was trying to make it look as though it were a robbery, but neither the girlfriend or the family, friends, or police believe that it actually was a robbery. They believe Clarence was a target. The girlfriend recalls that the man had instructed the couple to empty their pockets and said calmly, You don't believe I'll shoot you, do you? He then lifted his mask and revealed his face to Clarence. The girlfriend believes that he knew his attacker by the look of recognition on Clarence's face. And then the man shot him. Even though Clarence drove a 2009 Lexus and had items of value on his person and in the car, the shooter left without taking anything. Well, that's a red flag. Yeah. It's classic staged robbery this person has clearly clearly never done a hit before (laughs) well and to show your face if you're just randomly mugging someone on the street you're not gonna pull your mask off so they can see you you show someone your face because you want them to know who you are right like you i want you to know that i'm the person that killed you type thing so police initially believe that it may have been a hit ordered by someone with a grudge Right. Um, especially since he worked in the correction system. Right, yeah. But he was even well-liked by the inmates because, they say, he was fair. And he didn't seem to have any enemies related to his work at all. Yeah. Most people that knew Clarence personally believe they know who his killer was. Or, at least, who hired him. Yeah. And they all point to his ex-wife, Tabitha Moore. He seems like a wholesome dude, so I feel like the ex-wife is a pretty good person to look at first. Well, and again... She might be the only one who has a grudge against Yeah, who's the first person you look at when something like this oh, happens? of course, yeah. You know? I mean, obviously, they're going to look into the girlfriend as well, but mm-hmm. she's there with him when this yeah. happens. I mean... So, well, we know where this is going because uh, this is where a lot of these types of cases go as to why the ex-wife might have motive. So, here we go. Yeah. Clarence had intended to get custody of his sons. There we go. Something Tabitha was never going to let happen. According to his father, Clarence was getting the upper hand in the case, especially after Tabitha assaulted Clarence during a visit with their son's doctor. She was charged... That's smart. Yeah. Just punch in, in the middle of the doctor's yeah. office. <laughs> she was charged with domestic assault and battery. The doctor was expected to testify at the hearing... But the charges were dropped due to Clarence's death. That's one way to get out of it, I guess. Sure. So Tabitha also filed a report against Clarence, alleging that he had sexually abused his sons. 
Child Protective Services investigated this and found that these were baseless claims. Well, yeah. Completely unfounded. They found nothing there. Clarence passed a polygraph test, which he volunteered to take. And Child Protective Services went as far as to report that they felt Tabitha was coaching her children on what to say. Yeah. And again, you have those telltale signs when they're using similar verbiage, similar phrasing. You know, when everything lines up too perfectly, points at coaching. This is starting to get bad. (laughs) (laughs) So Clarence had alleged that Tabitha was violent with him in their marriage and also violent toward their sons. They were due in court just two weeks after Clarence was killed for what was supposed to be an important hearing in the custody battle. This is starting to look bad. According to his cousin, who seems to be a wealth of knowledge, knows him very well, very involved yeah. in his life. Or seems the only source we were able to find yeah. on this case, pretty much. <laughs> but seems also incredibly reliable. Clarence's idea of hanging out was going to the movies with his kids. He was so full of life and he cherished his family. His boys were his life. He would have fought literally to the death to get custody of them. In 2013, there was a battle over Hammond's life insurance policy between his ex-wife, Tabitha Moore, and his mother, Patricia Truitt. Couldn't find the outcome of the case. I don't know if... Did you maybe find anything? No, but I uh, hope to God that Tabitha didn't win it. Yeah. Or that I... So I believe his life insurance policy, his beneficiaries were his sons, which may be why Tabitha felt that she had a right to claim it. I would either hope that they awarded it to his mother or holding it in some sort of trust until trust his for the boys. sons reach 18, you know? You would you would hope. Yeah, but I, yeah, I, I couldn't find anything at all. But if Tabitha Moore gets custody of the boys and they're the beneficiaries... Well, she has custody of them. Well, that's what I'm saying, but if she's now going to have sole custody because the custody battle couldn't continue, in all likelihood, she's going to have at least some, if not complete, control over that money. When asked about the status of Tabitha Moore, police say she is a current suspect, but she's not the only suspect. Yeah. According to Sergeant Zupik. Zupik? Zupik? Yeah. Yeah. He believes that Tabitha Moore had an active part in this or the planning of it. Right. The suspect that committed the actual crime is described as a 30-year-old black male with a medium to heavy build, approximately 5'10", dressed in all black, and drove a dark minivan. And then according to WXYZ, which sounds made up, but it's not. It's not. (laughs) (laughs) The Michigan Department of Corrections sent this statement. We will continue to do everything we can to aid law enforcement as they hunt for Officer Hammond's killer and to bring them to justice. His family and his colleagues at the facility need and deserve closure on this tragic incident. A spokeswoman for the Michigan Corrections Organization also told us they donated $10,000 to Clarence Hammond's Children's College Fund. So... I mean, there's not really a ton to debate here because of the way that this all played out. Yeah, it's still an open case. There's nothing... I mean, they're obviously not going to give details of the investigation other than who they have as a suspect. I did read, I don't know if you found this, and I could not find anything else at all, but I'd read in several sources that there has been an arrest. Yeah, I had seen something about that as well, but I just couldn't get a ton of information past that, really a rumor, I guess. I don't know. I, I found it reported by... Like news, like in, in news reports, um, 
not to say that the media couldn't. <laughs> After I, we just yeah, got Yeah, because you can trust like, everything you read in the media. I was going to say, just go listen to our last episode. <laughs> shred them pretty hard. So, yeah, I, that there, an arrest had been made. Tabitha has never been arrested with this. but So I guess maybe the shooter or maybe someone else they think is in, involved. Um, but I couldn't see whether or not the arrest led to any charges. When this arrest was made, no details. Other well, than- no, and it seems like this is one of the few cases that we've covered where the police are really doing everything that they should be doing and can be doing. Yes. They are yeah. running down every lead, right? They know this is a corrections officer. Let's find out if there's an inmate that had a grudge. Yeah. And they run it down, but they find nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, so really, based on the description of Clarence Hammond by everyone that they speak to. And, you know, we couldn't find direct quotes from a lot of people, but they're giving us, you know, this is the overall impression we're getting from all of these interviews. And again, they're not going to put a ton of people's names out there when this is an active investigation. Yeah, exactly. You don't need more people turning up dead, disappearing. If this was a plot like it seems like it was, if you were willing to take it to this level, what level are you willing to take it to to tie up loose ends? So they're not going to put all of that stuff out there. Yeah, I just have a feeling that um, the person who uh, called for this got what they wanted, and uh, she no longer has a reason to hurt anybody. And now oh, and you said been... she. So oh, could we I be talking about? I don't recall. Tabitha Moore. I plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just no, saying. Absolutely, I'll put it straight up yeah, out there. Yeah. All of the signs kind of point in that direction. Yeah, she. This is again one of the few cases where I actually have faith that the police are looking into this. It yeah. seems like they're doing everything that they should. I mean, the Sergeant Zuppick, when he says these things, it's like because they ask him, "Do you think that the wife is involved?" And that's when he says, Ex-wife. "She's a suspect." Da 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 da. He basically, the way it's said, it's just like. Uh, yeah, she's a suspect. Pretty much that, like, we think that she was involved in the planning and execution of this type of thing. And he's basically saying, we know you did this, Tabitha. We know you did it. You know, We know you had something to do with it. We're anything. going to find what we need to tie yeah. you to it. Unfortunately, though, it's been nine years now. Yeah. Because this was in January of 2012. So mm-hmm. just this past month, it, it marks nine years since his murder. So I hope to God she doesn't get away with it. I am hoping that maybe perhaps when her children reach an age that they may know something. Uh, maybe that their mom slipped up or something and, and they might have some knowledge. Yeah, I think it's just a waiting game trying to wait for someone to come forward. You know, but with things like this, too, when you have somebody who's willing to be hired out to do something like this, Mm -hmm. they get picked up on something else, and then they're willing to sing like a bird if it means a lighter sentence for them. Yep. So, I mean, the clock's just ticking on this. And, I mean, conspiracy to commit murder, especially when the murder was committed, carries a life sentence. Yeah. So, So if they ever, you know, I mean, look at Robert Durst with all that money in his pocket and in the trunk of the car, Mm -hmm. shoplifting a sandwich from Wegmans gets picked up and then all of this starts unfolding. Yeah. If they pick this guy up for anything, he's going to be willing to roll over if it means he gets a lighter sentence. Yeah, so let's just hope that he doesn't... Well, God, no, I shouldn't say that. Let's hope he does something else that is a non-violent crime. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Yeah, so he could get picked up. So again, not really much to debate there, but we definitely want to be bringing awareness to that. And like we said, this is an active investigation. Yep. So I do have some contact information. If you have any information in Clarence Hammond's case, please contact the Crime Stoppers of Michigan at 1-800-SPEAK-UP or by submitting a tip online. You can also contact the Madison Heights Police Department at 248-585-8800.
1-800-273-2100. All tips are 100% anonymous. Crime Stoppers is offering a cash reward of up to $7,500 for information that leads to the arrest of the person or persons responsible. And if money, if, you know, what motivates you is money, I believe that the Macomb uh, Police Department also has a reward. I think the family may also have a reward. So if that's what motivates you and you know something, do it. And somebody's <laughs> got to know something. Yeah. The sad part, too, about this is that now you don't ever, you don't see, there's really nothing much. The longest video, the longest video we could find is like four minutes and 26 seconds from Crime Watch Daily on yeah. YouTube in regards to this case. Yeah. Everything else is under a minute long. Um, so trust me when I tell you that we went to the edges of the internet <laughs> to find this information for you. It is terrible. Um, which also may be why they're not really getting a whole bunch of leads because this is unknown. Yeah, there's not enough attention on this one. Yeah. And you the know. sad part, Patricia Truitt isn't, his mother, isn't really seen in any of these interviews. It's Clarence and his wife, Algene, that are seen, and it's heartbreaking to listen to them. He says, I think it was to either the Oakland Press or McComb Daily, and uh, Clarence Jr. says, she, whoever did this, <laughs> you know, they, they think it's Tabitha, she got a three-for-one deal, you know. They killed us and him, pretty yeah. much is what he's saying. You know, I mean, either that or you could take it to be like she got rid of him and she got her two children because she also took the children and moved out of state. So their grandparents, Clarence's parents, um, you know, the three of them, his stepmother and father, and then his mother, they will not see their grandchildren. Well, I would imagine probably never. And, you know, not at all suspicious to leave the state when something like this right. happens. And we've talked about it before. When you have a parent die, you don't want to remove the kids from their link to that parent. Yeah, exactly. Like his parents Hopefully, are still their care. grandparents she for these kids. She falsely accused him of sexual assault against his own children. Right. Do you think she's got any sort well, of... Well, I'm not saying she was a good dude. I'm just saying we've talked about it before yeah. and it's another indication of how not a you good know, dude she is. I would be hard-pressed to believe any other theory at all because, not saying, because we've covered a few divorce cases and things like that or custody and... Uh, I mean, look at Michelle Harris, what we thought about that and all of that. But considering what had happened during their divorce and this nasty custody battle and the fact that they were two weeks away from a custody hearing, he obviously, she already had a hearing scheduled for her assault charges, which would cause her to lose custody of her children. Trust me, an assault charge in a doctor's office in front of your children against their father, you're going to lose custody. Right. I'm sorry, do you, do you need more of a motive? Like, do you need more arrows pointing directly at well, you and like you killed him? No one else has one. Exactly. He's a he's a great guy um, who took good care of his kids. And, and a public uh, servant. Yeah. And she clearly wasn't a great dude. And she couldn't stand that her kids were going to be taken away by her own fault. Right. You know, had she been a better person, a better wife, a better mother, then, you know, maybe she would have had shared custody of her children. But she just couldn't let that go. So, again, this is an active investigation. Mm -hmm. The police are still seriously looking into this. I'm going to repeat the contact information one more time before we close out. Mm -hmm. So, Crime Stoppers of Michigan, 1-800-SPEAK-UP. And Madison Heights Police Department, 248-585-2100. And, again, all of those tips are 100% anonymous. Right. So, if, um, if you have knowledge that will put Tabitha more away, you can call those numbers. Yes. <laughs> So <laughs> that's who did it. <laughs> uh, we're going to be back next week with two more cases that 
are not getting the attention that they deserve. Yep. We want to lesser known use whatever cases. platform we have yep. to shine some light there. So we'll see you back here yep. next Friday. And if you Friday. haven't already, go check out our Valentine's Day episode. You might have been busy on Valentine's with your significant other. Don't worry. We're here to bring your mood down. Go listen to <laughs> Go listen to our Valentine's special. Join us next week for um, another case that we're doing for Black History Month. And uh, we'll see you then. Two more cases. Yeah, two more cases. So. Alrighty, guys. Bye, guys. Bye.